Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Uh, and I want to talk to you about God's divine order for worship. Or another way we could say it is what to expect when you come to church or what a worship service should look like. Did you know that God gives all of us instruction concerning our worship services? Now, it's my desire as your pastor to help you get everything that you can get from the worship services. I don't want you to ever just get into a rhythm of just coming to church because that's what I'm supposed to do. I want you to come expecting to receive and expecting to share. And we'll explain that later here in this, in this passage of Scripture or in this message today. But I want to talk to you today about what God's Word says should happen uh, when we gather together for a worship service. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you, Lord, for this great day that you have given us. Thank you for so many great people that call Lakewood home. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be their pastors. Father, touch me today now to be able to minister your word. Holy Spirit, teach through me that the eyes of our understanding would be opened and that we would receive enlightenment. I pray for fluency. I pray for clarity. I pray for accuracy as I surrender to you today for your teaching. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You got it? 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. A lot of the message today will be out of the New International Version. So if the wording is just a little bit different, then, uh, then it's out of the New International Version. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, a doctrine, a tongue, a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. Now let me say this uh, by way of introduction of this teaching today, this message. The early church walked in Pentecostal power. I said the early church walked in Pentecostal power. And I'm convinced through my study of the Scripture that it is God's will for us to walk in Pentecostal power today. Church services were powerful when I was growing up. They were what we would call today spirit-filled or full gospel services. People would come in and, and uh, they would say hi to a couple of people when they come through the door, but their first stop was usually the altar. And say that they would come forward and they would kneel down at the altar and they would pray and maybe for 10 or 15 minutes until they felt the power of the Holy Spirit surging through them and then they may get up and say hi to a few more people. But when it came time for church, the talking stopped and the worship began. And people just came rushing into the sanctuary. You didn't have to coax them in. You didn't have to goad them in. You didn't have to entice them in. They were so pumped and so excited. Man, church is starting. I don't want to miss what God is getting ready to do. And so here they came just as quick as they could come to get into the presence of God. And so we called them spirit-filled services and we called them full gospel services. Now, obviously, there were excesses in those services, just like, in my opinion, there are excesses in the opposite direction today. Not enough spiritual things happening. Too many people concerned about relevance. Too many people concerned about identifying with people who don't know the move of God because they want to attract them to share with them a move of God. 
Leave that alone for right now. There was anointed preaching. There was anointed teaching. There was spiritual worship. And there were the supernatural gifts of the Spirit in operation and demonstration in the church. All of this flows with 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26 when the Bible said that when you come together, one had a psalm, one had a doctrine or a teaching, one had a tongue, one had a revelation and interpretation. Tongue, revelation, interpretation would all be supernatural or spiritual demonstrations. And then the Bible says, let all things be done for the purpose of edification. So when in God's idea of a worship service, when we gather together, there should be a psalm, hymn, spiritual song, there should be a word of instruction given by the Holy Spirit and the supernatural demonstration of God's Spirit should be in operation in the worship service. If any of those three, three things are lacking, if any of those things are lacking, then the service is incomplete. Now let me say this. The generation in which we live, especially in the American church culture, we're heavy on worship, light on the Word, and spiritual manifestation and demonstration is almost non-existent. And the reason is because we live in an entertainment cu culture. We come to church and we're conditioned to be entertained. But God says, I want you to sing to me. I want you to receive instruction from me and I want to minister to you through the Spirit. And that's God's idea of a worship service. So we're going to talk about it today, okay? We're going to talk a little bit about it today. When the Bible said that there is a psalm, that's in the King James Version, in the New International Version, it uses the word hymn. The American Heritage Dictionary defines a hymn as a song of praise or thanksgiving to God. Spirit-filled worship has to do or involves praise and thanksgiving to God. It's not all intimacy. Some of it is rejoicing. Some of it is clapping your hands. Some of it is shouting unto God with the voice of triumph. Some of it is just worshiping. The shout is the outward expression of the inward work of God. That is a praise. That's what praise does. Praise, praise magnifies Him for who He is. Praise is something that makes our spirit just cry out, God, you are awesome. You are the healer. You are the redeemer. You, are, you give us victory. You are victorious. You are Jehovah. Sid Canoe, our righteousness, God, we worship and praise you. We magnify your name. Now that's praise. Worship is the inward expression of love to God coming out of us. So praise is adoration. Worship is intimacy. The Bible teaches us here that spirit-filled worship involves praise and thanksgiving to God. In Ephesians chapter 5, let's go over there. In Ephesians chapter 5, in your Bible, verses 18, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, says this, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs. Somebody say that with me. Somebody say psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So spirit-filled worship involves praise and thanksgiving to God and spirit-filled worship according to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 18 through 20 involves psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 it said to be filled with the Spirit. That we are to be filled with the Spirit. Look at your neighbor and tell them, say, tank up. Fill up. Get filled with the Spirit. We're to be filled with the Spirit. And then it goes on and it tells us how we do that. Through psalms, through hymns, and through spiritual psalms. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. There's nothing wrong with singing the psalms. We take the psalms, we say the psalms, we can say the psalms to music. We can sing the psalms to music. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. You know that song? Serve the Lord with gladness, come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. And so there's nothing wrong with doing that. In fact, the Bible tells us we should do that. That we should do psalms. And then the scripture tells us that spirit-filled people sing in psalms and then they also sing in hymns. What are hymns? In my view, a hymn is a powerful song that meant something as, and was foundational to a former generation. Now, a lot of people get stuck in the hymns. They say, you know what? Those were powerful songs and I just think that that's what we ought to sing and we shouldn't do anything else. When you do that, you're, you're not fulfilling the command of Scripture. Here's what the Scripture says. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? We as God's children should sing hymns, but it should not be all that we sing. We should sing psalms, but it shouldn't be all that we sing. And then the Scripture says, Spirit-filled people, those that are filled with the Spirit, sing in psalms, they sing in hymns, and then they sing in spiritual songs. What is spiritual songs? Prophetic worship. Songs by the Spirit in the moment. I've heard some of you, because you don't understand, I've heard some of you make statements about Pastor Charles and, well, he just goes off and starts singing his own thing. He's not singing his own thing. That is what you call a spiritual song. That is prophetic worship. And what he's trying to do is to get you involved in the moment in this phrase that the Lord has given him for the moment. He's saying, come on, sing with me. And he'll sing it over and over and over and over. And some of you just sit there like... <laughs> you know why? Because it's not a hymn. Because it's not a, a psalm. Because it's not something that you're familiar with. It's what the Bible says too, church. Don't find fault with that which you do not understand. So go with it. Sometimes God gives a phrase in a moment for to, to, to let His power and His anointing flow into that moment. And when we flow with our leaders 
in that area of worship. And we just say, okay, Lord, I'm going to try this. Lord, I just thank you, Lord. I'm just going to go with this and I'm going to worship you and all of that. It doesn't have to be on the wall in order for us to worship. We talk about wanting to be spirit-led, but when the Lord leads in an area like that, we find fault. I love you. I'm trying to help you grow. I'm trying to help us grow. I'm trying to help us understand what the Lord's trying to do. God's trying to stretch us. God's trying to minister to us in the moment. And that is what spiritual songs are. They're the flow of the Holy Spirit for the moment in the moment. So participate. Worship. Keep your hands in the air. Don't find fault. Don't think it just has to be a hymn. Don't think that it just has to be a psalm. The Bible said that spirit-filled people worship in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then the Bible said singing and making melody in their hearts unto the Lord. So what is in your heart is going to come out of your heart. And what is in your heart will be reflected in your life. For out of the mouth, the Bible said, the abundance of the heart speaketh. Or if you put music to it, singeth. This is why gospel music is so important. Gospel music is important because when we listen and sing to secular music, we are being entertained. But, we li- but when we listen and sing to gospel music, we are worshiping. And so that's, that's the difference. And there's nothing wrong with good, wholesome, God-honoring entertainment. Now let me say this. <laughs> this is, and, and I'm going to explain what I'm getting ready to say. All music even the music you don't like and that I don't like, to be frankly honest with you. All music originated from heaven. That's where it came from. When Satan was cast from heaven, his name was Lucifer. And he was what we would call the minister of worship in heaven. And the Bible said that built within this beautiful angel were pipes and tabrets and musical instruments. They were built into him. Satan does not have two horns and a pitchfork tail and a red face. I mean, Halloween is Tuesday. Let's get this right. Satan is a beautiful angel. When he was cast out of heaven because of the seven I wills, we won't get into that, don't have time, but when he was cast out of heaven... To the earth, he carried those gifts with him. Now, you say, how does that translate then if all music originated from heaven? Then how can all music, because we know some of it is horrible, we know some of it is devastating, we know some of it is desecrating, we know that some of it is about sex and and violence and all of that. How, How can that have originated from heaven? Well, let me ask you this question. All humanity was created for God's pleasure and for God's glory. Does everyone give God pleasure and and worship Him for His glory? 
No, sin made its way into the human race, desecrating, uh, desecrating the human race, making it necessary for there to be a redeemer. And just like sin desecrated humanity, sin desecrated the music. So now we come to the $60 million question. Should a Christian listen to secular music? Those of you that say no, I want to ask you this question. Where is your biblical defense for that? There is some secular music that is not bad. There's some that is good and there is some that is wholesome. And there's some that, you know, strengthens the family and, 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 and it's used for entertainment purposes. There's some. Now, how do we discern that? Well, we let the Word help us discern what is good and what's bad. And I have a couple of scriptures here for you, okay? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Here's what the Word says. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So you have to ask yourself the question, if it's a secular song, is it promoting things that are corrupt? Is it edifying? And does it empower people to live right? Is there some good songs? There's some good songs out there that are not necessarily what we would call Christian songs. Now, if they promote sex, if they promote violence, if they promote promiscuity, if they promote those types of things, then we should not be listening to them. Here's what the Bible says. Here's your second scripture. Verse number four and verse number eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. If the song passes the scriptural test, then it's okay to listen to it. But if it's a secular song, even though it's okay to listen to it, you need to understand that it's for entertainment purposes only. That's the difference between secular music and gospel music Secular music entertains us. Gospel music is used for worship and connects us to God. As a Christian, every now and then, now you know me, I love country music. And I've always said, you can't trust a man that don't like a good country song every now and then. But there's a whole lot of country music that I will not listen to. In fact, there are artists in the country genre that I will not listen to. But there are a few good, especially old country songs that I like to listen to. When I listen to them, it's for entertainment purposes when I'm fishing. <laughs> now, Holy Spirit prompted Prophetic worship, sung from our hearts, strengthens and edifies the church. So when the Bible says, and, and, and the point that I was trying to make there with secular or gospel music is, and I probably should go ahead and say this before I get off track, I think that a Christian 
will be heavy into gospel. They'll be heavy into worship. They'll be heavy into, I don't know, Gateway, Hillsong, Brooklyn Tab. They'll, they'll just, there's something about worship music, and that is what I listen to almost all of the time. Primarily, I listen to gospel music. And I think that a Christian who is a real Christian will spend a lot more time listening to gospel music than they will any other kind of music. But I'm trying to tell you that if it's a good song, if you listen to it, that does, it's not going to send you to hell. Okay. Now, Holy Spirit prompted music. We've talked about psalms and hymns spiritual, and then spiritual songs. Holy Spirit or prophetic music sung from our heart strengthens and edifies the church. So we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 26 that we, when we come together, we should have spiritual music. We should have psalms, we should have hymns, and we should have spiritual songs, prophetic music. That's God's preference. All those three. Now we go on and the Bible says that they have a word... Or a doctrine. We come together and when you have a psalm has a doctrine. Or uh, in the NIV that says word of instruction. Now let me, let me kind of point this out. Preaching and teaching are two different things. We preach to the lost and instruct the faithful. I said we preach to the lost and instruct the faithful. We preach to the lost with power and conviction, demonstrating the supernatural power of God with signs, wonders, and miracles so that people will be inspired to make Jesus the Lord of their life. That's the work of the evangelist. I mean, we should all be trying to win people to Christ, but that is primarily the work of, of the evangelist. That's why when an evangelist comes in here, they get up here and they get all excited and all this kind of stuff and, and your spirits start to rise and you start getting encouraged and all of that. And then at the end of the service or sometime during the service, a lot of times there'll, peop, there'll be people that'll give their life to Christ. The reason is because the primary anointing on the evangelist's life is to inspire people to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's what preaching is for. We should always be ready to try to win somebody to Jesus. But teaching or instructing the faithful is what happens after that. And this is why there's a lot of churches that there will be people, they'll come and they'll give their life to Christ and a year later they're not in church anymore. Or six months later, they're not in church anymore. You know why? Because the church was good at getting them saved, but they knew nothing about instructing them on how to live for God. So the work of the pastor is to instruct you how to work, how to live for the Lord under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So we instruct the faithful consistently. We try to do it with simplicity and understanding, breaking down the Word of God so a child can understand it. We teach the whole counsel of God. The Bible teaches us that we are to be prepared to give a defense for the faith in which we stand. Biblical instruction coming from the pulpit of your local church, from your pastor, should involve instruction from Genesis to Revelation. There are some churches that are faith-heavy. There are some ministries that are prosperity heavy. There are some ministries that are healing heavy. 
There are some ministries that are, oh, go to that church and you'll get a word heavy. Well, I want to tell you something. I think that God's plan, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 26, is for there to be a place where the whole counsel of God can be taught from Genesis to Revelation where people can receive a balanced intake of the Word of God and under the unction and direction of the Holy Spirit, God's Word can be broken down and made simple enough for even a child to understand it. Many times I have prayed and asked God, Lord, I know that you give me things that some people would call deep, but when I get in that pulpit, Lord, I pray that the anointing to explain your word in a way that people can understand will just flow through me. And I have seen God take what I would consider complicated things. And when I was studying it, I would think, man, that's going to be complicated. And I would sometimes make statements even to my wife. I, I, I told her this just a couple of weeks ago. I said, man, God's given me a good message. I just hope I can get it out. But what happens is we get up here under the unction of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit starts teaching because I'm not smart enough to do this myself. The Holy Spirit starts teaching through me and it's just like, wow, that was easy. Why? Because it's Him teaching it. And when I have my glasses on, I see in your eyes that you're receiving understanding. I see the wow on your face every now and then. I see you like, ooh, I didn't know that. Isn't that amazing? And what's amazing to me is how that some of you guys that served God for 30 or 40 years, you get the same look on your face on Sunday morning that I get earlier in the week when the Lord opens it up to me. Wow. Isn't it great that God's Word is not boring? Amen. Amen. All right, let's continue on here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, and the NIV tells us that we should always be ready to give a defense for the faith. Let me read it. But if your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Verse 16 says, Keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Sometimes people try to make you feel bad. The Bible says here, stay gentle and respectful. Even when people are working against you because they don't understand what's going on or they don't understand what you're saying. I have learned through the years that people fight what they don't understand. Because if they don't understand it, it scares them. Well, I want to tell you, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has torment. Those that are in love aren't in fear. I've learned if it's in the Word of God, I don't have to be afraid of it. I may not understand it, but I don't have to be afraid of it. And so I embrace it. 
Acts 13 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Now I'm going to go down a little track here, a little track of teaching, a little track of instruction, because, you know, I want to help you understand what is going on sometimes when someone shows up and they say, you know, I'm a prophet or I have a prophetic gift, and they, and they are a prophet and they do have a prophetic gift. You have a lot of them that run through and they say that. I found out a long time ago, if you've got to tell someone what you are or who you are, then you probably aren't. The Bible said that your gifts will make a way for you. In other words, they will expose who you are. So those that flow in the prophetic, many times they don't have to stand up and say, I'm a prophet. No, 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 no. Their gift will make a way for them. Those who carry, now listen, those who carry a prophetic gift should function in and flow out of a local church. How come? Because prophets are bold. They don't have a lot of mercy. Therefore, they need consistent instruction and oversight. Now, can a prophet pastor? A prophet can pastor, but they need to understand the differences in anointings. They need to understand that the difference in the pastoral anointing and the prophetic anointing, they need to understand that they're as different as night and day. The prophet stands up and says, turn or burn. The pastor stands up and says, this is what God's word says, and we don't want to do that if it's going to cost us our salvation, do we? Said the same thing, but in a different way. One had mercy, one's hit the road, Jack, don't come back no more, no more, no more, no more. That's what it is. Now, if a prophet feels that God is calling them to pastor, then they should submit their prophetic gift under the anointing of the pastorate. They should do that. So in other words, if God has called you to pastor and you have a prophetic gift, then the pastoral anointing should be primary in your life. You can flow in the prophetic, but the pastoral anointing should be primary in your life. And we're still talking about instruction. So I want to talk about one more thing here before we get to the, the last thing, which is uh, spiritual manifestation. We need to understand that Holy Spirit is our teacher. We learn by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is our teacher. Here's what the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13 in the NIV. It says, This is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, listen, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. When we come together in a worship service, we should have some sort of singing. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all of those please the Lord. A combination of them, that's what I want us to do. I want us to just cover the bases. A combination of them I think would be very, very pleasing to the Lord. Then we're supposed to receive a word of instruction. Well, what kind of instruction are we supposed to receive? Pop psychology? Or instruction in the Word? What do you think the Holy Spirit wants to teach us? 
He wants to teach us how to be like Christ. He wants to give us instruction in the Word. And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will teach us explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. These are not things that we put together and put down on an outline and plan on saying the Holy Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words is like prophetic worship. It happens in the moment under the unction of the Holy Spirit and it comes from the surrendered vessel surrendering to the flow of the Holy Spirit. It's like holy men of God wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost. And one of those holy men of God wrote, they said, we have received the unction from the Holy One and we know all things. So what they were saying was our spirit has received Holy Spirit unction, tapping us in to the omniscient God, the one who knows all things. How much more advantageous is it for us to surrender to Holy Spirit teaching than it, uh, than it is for us to sit in a congregation and have someone up there giving us pop psychology telling us it's a word from God. See, we are spirit, soul, and body. Not body, soul, and spirit. There is a difference. I'm not ready yet. There is a difference. I love this guy. There's a difference. We are primarily spirit. That's who we are. Then we're soul, mind, will, and emotions. And then we're body, the suit that all of it lives in. And our spirit needs things. Our spirit needs to be taught on a spiritual level things that we do not understand. That's why the Bible said when we don't know what to pray that the Holy Spirit Himself makes groanings which cannot be uttered and prays through us and that's called Holy Spirit intercession. So when the Holy Spirit intercedes through us and ministers through us praying things that we know something needs to be prayed but we can't, we can't reason it because what we're receiving and what we need from God is not going to come through reason. It's going to come through revelation. That's why the man with the experience is never at the mercy with the man with the argument. Because we're spirit beings connected to a Spiritual God who minister to, ministers to us by the Spirit and instructs us things pertaining to the Spirit of God, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. 2 Timothy 2, 7. Reflect on what I am saying. Paul was saying of God's Word. He said, reflect on what I am saying. For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. That's in the NIV. Dad Hagen used to say, my life changed when I started praying that the Lord would give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. He went on to say that from that day forward, the Word of God just started leaping off the page into my spirit. And I saw things that I would never see before. I thought, well, if it worked for him, it'll work for me because God is no respecter of persons. So several years ago, when I felt God shifting me, 
my first church in Cape Girardeau, I prayed. I said, God, make me effective. I had been, I had been evangelizing for eight years. Traveled all over the United States, Canada, Mexico, Jamaica. I'd been all over. I'd been for eight years. And I was preaching, jumping up on pews, shouting and dancing and people getting saved and people getting healed and people getting delivered, people getting set free. And I go to my first church and I try that there and everybody just looks at me like a calf looking at a new gate. <laughs> and I said, God, I want you to make me more more." God, I just want you to make me more effective, Lord. I want to be a good pastor. And the Lord cut me off. He spoke to me. It stopped me in my tracks. Here's what he said. Quit hollering and start communicating. So I prayed, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. In other words, Lord, give me something to say besides you need to get saved. And I started getting frustrated because that spirit of wisdom and revelation came on me and the word started jumping off and I couldn't even get through a verse, let alone a chapter. I would stand up, when I, Donna? I'd stand up, I'd open up the word of God and I'd get through two phrases and 45 minutes had went by. And the problem was is the seat can only contain as much as, or the mind can only contain as much as the seat can, can endure. And there's a whole lot of people sitting around on their blessed assurance, but after a while, blessed assurance gets tired. And I'm wanting to keep preaching and they're wanting to go eat. I can understand how the apostles would stand and preach from morning until night because they were under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit gave me insight. And now, if I hit a snag, I don't pray it every day. <laughs> But if I hit a snag, I just say, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Pow, 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 pow. And it happens again. That's Holy Spirit at work in our life. Holy Spirit teaching. My feeling is that's much more advantageous for us. It's, it's better for us to receive the Word of God in that way. Holy Spirit's teaching is instructive. It should fall into one of these four categories. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is there for teaching. That's line upon line, precept upon precept. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16. Here's what it says. All Scripture is given by instruction of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So Holy Spirit teaching covers four areas. It, it deals with teaching. Line upon line, precept upon precept, Genesis through Revelation. Holy Spirit teaching is also for rebuking. The purpose of rebuke is to bring godly love and spiritual clarity. It's not to condemn. And then the Bible said that the Holy Spirit's instruction is for correcting. The correction, once again, is not for condemnation, but it's for affirmation. The way Holy Spirit corrects is if you continue to go like this, this is going to be the result. If you continue going like this, this is going to be the result, and that would be much more, much more for you. That would be better for you if you would do that. And so the Holy Spirit affirms the direction that we are to go. And then the Bible said for instruction in righteousness. Now what does that mean when it says instruction for righteousness? Well, the Bible says that we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So the work of Holy Spirit is to instruct us on our position in God. Righteousness means right standing with God. 
So the work of Holy Spirit is to let us know who we are, what authority we work under, and why. And after that, then he teaches us how. So that's the work of Holy Spirit. The third thing. I could just keep teaching this all day. You know that, right? Okay, so the third thing. We've got psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So singing is what should happen in a worship service. Then we should receive a word of instruction given under the inspiration, direction, unction of the Holy Spirit. Most of the time through a pastor or a Bible teacher. And then the third thing is the Bible said a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And I call this spiritual manifestation or spiritual demonstration. Now let me make this statement. I want to make it very loud. I want to make it very clear. I want everyone to understand what I'm getting ready to say. Listen to this phrase. Look at your neighbor and say, listen to pastor. He's going to say something. He's going to say something. Our worship services are incomplete if the Holy Spirit does not manifest himself. I said our worship services are incomplete if the Holy Spirit does not manifest himself. I'll say again what I said at the beginning of the service. And the American modern church culture, we are heavy on worship, light on the word, and spiritual manifestation and demonstration is almost non-existent. Now let me go down a different track with this. We do not have to market the move of God. So in other words, if God gives a word for someone, it's not necessary for me to grab this mic right here. Don't turn it on. But it's not necessary for me to grab this mic right here and say, God gave me a word for you, Walt, and give it to you right in front of everybody. It might not be everyone else's business what the Lord wants to say to you. But there is a particular genre of worship service today that that seems to be what everyone's doing. And not only do they market, they do what I call market and bait. So they'll pray a general prayer and they'll have people come up to give their testimonies and when the person is, for goodness sakes, trying to tell what the Lord done to them, they constantly interrupt and try to highlight the different things that the person is saying and the reason they're doing that, they say, well, it's to build faith. No, it's not to build faith. It's to build who you are. We're supposed to testify. But we don't have to market the move of God. God has the ability to do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, when faith is active and when faith is present. So sometimes when we have you come forward for prayer, every now and then Dr. John or myself or someone else up here, the Lord will speak, uh, Vic, the Lord will speak through someone and they may speak to you individually. You may hear us say something, not all the time, but every now and then. You may hear us say, you know, I'm praying for you and I feel like the Lord is saying this. And many times you'll see me make sure this mic is off. It's Bible. It's Bible. And so I'll turn the mic off and I'll say, this is what the Lord says. This is what His Word is saying. This is what God is saying to you. Some people say, I just don't know. I just don't know if that's for today. You come too late and you're a dollar short. Once again, 
The man with the experience is never at the mercy of the man with the argument. I know Jesus saved because He saved me. I know Jesus heals because He healed me. I know Jesus gives words of encouragement through people because God has used other people to give words of encouragement to me through them. Words of encouragement. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. The gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of tongues. To discerning of spirits. To another diverse kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit and give you just a little bit of instruction concerning supernatural and spiritual manifestation in the church today. In the New Testament church, surely they couldn't have been as powerful as we are because they didn't have all the lights and all the electronics and the great big fancy stages. Surely they weren't anointed. Really? In the New Testament church, here's what a worship service looked like. They came together. They sit down together in the synagogue. They sang psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in their hearts to the Lord. Someone, an apostle or something, would stand and give a word of instruction. Then, very possibly, that apostle would sit down and then they would open themselves up for spiritual manifestation and demonstration. And it didn't always have to come from the apostle or the pastor. They ministered to each other. In today's modern church culture, we have an entertainment culture. We come to church, they turn down the lights, they turn on the stage lights, we sing off the wall. It's wonderful, it's great. It's a wonderful worship experience. We're not going to quit doing it. But there's something else we do. We think that if God wants to speak through me, He's going to have to speak through someone up there on that stage. That is the farthest thing from the Word. Let me read to you again. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. To profit with all. Didn't say to every preacher, to every teacher, to every prophet. The Bible said to every man. For to one is given the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. So they all work together so that the self-same Spirit divides to every man or woman, mankind, severally as He wills. You may have a word for someone around you 
that God wants to use you to give that word to them. I might not have a clue that's happening. How are they going to get the word from the Lord if the mentality remains, if I need to hear from God, it'll have to come through the pastor. Hello? You understand what I'm saying? So, the modern church has missed it in this area. We need to start ministering to one another. Let the body be the body. What if I cut my arm right here? Right here. On an accident. What if I cut my arm right here? Immediately, my senses would go into action. What would happen? Not. (laughs) That's what would happen. But in the church, somebody gets wounded and we're waiting for. When we're. Does that make sense? Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Let God use you. In a worship service, God's plan and God's pleasure comes. You can come now, Charles. <laughs> God's plan and God's pleasure comes when all of us make ourselves available, not just for what we can receive, but for what we can share. There's no greater joy I'll tell you from experience, then God using you to help someone else. It's a blessing to be blessed, but it feels better to be the blesser. That's why the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, you say, well... We have to be perfect. The church has to be perfect. Everything has to be, the atmosphere has to be just right. Everything has to be set. You know, no, 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 no. Listen, the church at Corinth was challenging, to put it politely. I told them in the first service, I would not have wanted to pastor that church. Yet for all of their frailties, all of their misgivings, all of their problems... The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7 that they did not lack any spiritual gift. Quit waiting for everything to be perfect for God to use you. What it takes is faith. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. 
And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.